So, did you watch the, the uh, royal wedding a few weeks back with William and Kate? If you did watch it, you weren't alone. Estimated worldwide audience of two billion other people watched it along with you. And as well as the TV, the wedding rated big time on the internet. It recorded the highest ever amount of internet traffic for a single event in history. You name it, just about everything on the internet, uh, live streaming, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, everything was running hot on the wedding. And lots of it was running hot about the hats that the women were wearing. Princess Beatrice and Eugenie were singled out for attention. Cannot understand why. The British Prime Minister's wife, Samantha Cameron, was also singled out for attention, this time for not wearing a hat. Evidently, it's etiquette for women to wear a hat at royal weddings, and she was called everything from lazy, rude, insulting, embarrassing, even treasonous for failing to have a headpiece on. The British Prime Minister's wife, the only woman there not to be wearing a hat. People said she was very clearly making a statement of some sort. All of which goes to show that even nowadays you can cause a real stir by what you do or don't put on your head which is what today's passage is all about. There is confusion within the Corinthian church as to what they should be putting on their heads when they get together for church. And if what we put on our heads can still sometimes cause us fuss, much more the case back at the time Paul wrote this letter. Verse 2 of our reading. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings just as I pass them on to you. Paul opens this section by praising them for holding to the teachings which he's given them. Now, the word translated teachings there, it's quite a technical word. Uh, the ESV has it as tra traditions, and perhaps in your NIV that's footnoted down the bottom. It's probably a reference not to teachings in general, but more specifically to the traditions and the guidelines that Paul had given the church as to what to do when they get together for their meetings. I say that because... From this chapter onwards, right through to chapter 14, Paul is now going to spend a lot of time focusing in on how they should behave when they get together. Now, earlier on in the year, you might remember, we looked at chapters 1 through to 10, and they were about issues of godliness that could be applied to a whole range of scenarios and situations. Sexual purity, how to lovingly use our, our Christian liberty. But from now on in the letter, Paul really zeroes in on the specific situation of their public meetings, how they were to behave when they get together in the same way that we have now gotten together here. And here, as he opens the session, uh, section, he commends them for doing lots of the things that he's told them to do. Mind you, it sounds as if some of them are at least confused as to why it is that they are doing certain things. In particular, in this passage, Paul goes on to explain why it is that he wants women but not men to cover their heads when they pray and prophesy in their meetings. Because if you put yourself back into their situation, this would have actually been quite a confusing issue. We know from Acts chapter 18 that the Corinthian church had a very big contingent of Jews within it. 
Uh, No less than a guy named Crispus, who was the Jewish synagogue leader, had been converted and was part of this church. So there's quite a section of conservative Jewish men within the Corinthian church. And all of these Jewish men would have been used to covering their heads when they pray. Orthodox Jewish men still wear those little round hats as a sign of humility towards Yahweh. Greeks, on the other hand, as far as I can tell, neither men or women used to wear many much uh, hat covering, head covering at all. And therefore, within the church family, you have Christians from differing backgrounds who are used to some of them, everyone wearing head coverings, and some of them, none of them wearing head coverings. What are they to do? Who's right? Who's wrong? Add to this the liberating freedom which the gospel of Jesus Christ has brought to them, especially to women. In Galatians, Paul writes in that letter that there is no longer male or female in Christ, in the sense that as Christians we are equal before God. Men, women, we all have the same intimate access to God as our Father. Christianity, I know, it's often depicted as an oppressor of women. Nothing could be further from the truth. The gospel liberated women to amazing levels. Please notice here in, one, in this section that women are praying and prophesying. And there is no hint at all that they shouldn't be. That is unheard of within the practice of the synagogue. Even nowadays, Orthodox Jews separate men and women into separate rooms, at least have a barrier between them when they're praying. So roll all of this together. The liberating freedom and equality that the gospel brings to us as men and women, the conflicting traditions of Jewish and Greek backgrounds regarding who did and doesn't uh, wear head coverings, and it adds up to this general feeling of confusion within the church. Paul writes to clarify things. He explains why it is that women but not men ought to cover their heads when they pray and prophesy. And it's a tricky passage. And the poor old passage starts off a little behind the eight ball in a sense because looking out here, there's not many head coverings here. (laughs) And so there's almost a presumed level of irrelevance to a passage like this. There's almost a presumed level of feeling, well, this passage really doesn't have a lot to do with us. That's a real shame. This passage tells us some very, very important lessons. And I think you can see them when you appreciate that Paul's logic takes two main movements to it. The first movement being that men and women are different. Verse 3. Now I want you to realise that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man. And the, man of, and the head of Christ is God. Paul pretty clearly here says that man is in a position of authority over woman. That there is a difference in authority roles between the two. The head of the, of the woman is the man. That is massively countercultural. That is incredibly politically incorrect. And therefore, lots of people wrongly suggest that when Paul says that the head of the woman is man, he, they wrongly say he's not really talking about anything to do with authority, simply he's making the point that woman was made from man 
and say just like the head of a river is the start of the river, so man is the head of the woman in the sense that the male is the start of the source or the source of woman because in Genesis 2, uh, woman was created from the rib of man. Now, as true as that may be about Adam and Eve and that incident in, in Genesis, that's not what Paul's getting at here. If he had wanted to say that, he would have used other words, which he actually does down in verse 8. But also, whenever Paul talks about headship in his letters, it's always to do with issues of authority and submission. Verse 3 is pretty clearly saying that man is in authority over women. And it taps into a quite explicit, repeated teaching in the New Testament that the head of woman is man. Now, please do not misunderstand that. That does not mean that man is superior to woman. This is not saying anything about man being better than woman. Verse 3 parallels man being the head of the woman with God being the head of Christ. Now think about that one. God the Father, God the Son, they're both equal. One's not superior over the other. They're, they're both God. You learn about that uh, at that weekend away, last weekend, in the, the genius of the Trinity. But there is a difference between the two in that the Son voluntarily submits to the Father. And so God the Father and God the Son, they are equal, but they are also different in terms of their roles. So it is with men and women. Equal, but different in terms of roles. Now, our world struggles with this because society wants to measure our importance and our value by our role. Our world wants to measure how important we are by what we do. And so people read a passage like this and they think it's saying that women are inferior to men. They think it's saying that women are less important than men or that women don't matter as much as men. It's not what it's saying at all. Please hear this. God is crystal clear. Men and women are equal value, but being equal is not the same as being identical. And in his word, God says men and women are to have different roles. I want you to realise that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man. Now we could go off and spend a lot of time now talking about how we live out that different role. And there are other parts in the New Testament where Paul explains that just as Christ lived out his headship over us by lovingly, unconditionally, sacrificially serving us, that that's how men are to live out their headship role. Lovingly, unconditionally, sacrificially serving women. And so headship is not an excuse for abuse. It's not an excuse for privilege. It's about lovingly taking responsibility and care to nurture and bring out the best. But Paul doesn't go into that here because he's not interested in explaining how to live out the role difference, simply that it exists. Because that's why he wants the Corinthian men to not cover their heads and the Corinthian women to cover their heads. Verse 4. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Now Paul's got a role play going on here. Uh, in the previous verse, he's just pointed out that the head of every man is Christ. So when he says in verse 4, Paul, uh, that every man who prays with his head covered dishonors his head, he's saying that when a man prays with his head covered, he's dishonoring Christ. How? How does that work? How does a man covering his head somehow dishonor 
Jesus. Presumably it's because that that means they're no different to the Jews down the road at the synagogue. It's denying the incredible new intimacy which Christ has won for us with God. The Old Testament practice of needing to cover our heads, it's not needed anymore. In Jesus Christ, there is wonderful new closeness and confidence and assurance before God. So forget the head coverings. It's a denial of what Jesus has done for us. It'll take, it just takes you back to the Old Testament. For women, though, Paul wants to point out that it's a little different. Because yes, women like men have the same equality with God. There's no question there. But as verse 3 has pointed out, women are different in that they are not only cared for by God's headship, women are also to be cared for by male headship. And so Paul says that that difference in role needs to be symbolised by a difference in head coverings. So women should cover their heads and men shouldn't. He presses the point in verse 7. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man, for man didn't come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Now, when Paul says there that woman is made for man, please don't understand that one. He's not sort of making some statement about a woman being a man's slave whose job it is to bring him his beer and his slippers. He's actually making reference to Genesis there. He's making reference to the Genesis account of how men and women were formed in the first place, about how in Genesis 2, Eve was made for Adam. Many of you probably are aware of the account. Adam was formed from the earth of the ground, and God declared him as the pinnacle of everything he'd created. But Adam was lonely, and none of the animals came close to being a suitable helper or partner for him and so Eve was formed from his rib and Adam once he set eyes on Eve Adam declared her to be the pinnacle of everything he'd seen and that Genesis account serves to emphasize how men and women though both made in God's image how they are nevertheless different because of it's reflected in the way that they were formed in the first place Bottom line, men and women, equal, but still different roles. And even, Paul points out, the Genesis account reflects that. And so as to reflect that in their meetings, the Corinthian men and women should cover their, the Corinthian men and women should differ in their head coverings as they pray and prophesy. Now, if all of that's not tricky enough, it's at this point that we hit verse 10. A notoriously difficult verse. For this reason, and because of the angels, the women ought to have a sign of authority on their heads. Now, I am not sure what's going on in that verse. In fact, let me be so bold as to say that if you ever hear someone say that they definitely do know what that verse is saying, it only goes to prove they have no idea whatsoever. The English is bad enough. The Greek behind us behind it is absolutely treacherous let me offer you my top idea be gentle with it I'm pretty sure no one else agrees with it I've certainly not read it anyway the word angels can be equally translated messengers normal human messengers like the person who would have delivered this letter to the church and so what Paul might be saying here is that he wants the women to wear head coverings so that when others visit their church meetings, 
that they won't be accidentally offended or put off or confused by, by what's going on. Now, if he is saying that, that would not be the only time in the letter that Paul is concerned about visitors at their meetings. In a couple of chapters' time, in chapter 14, we'll discover when we get to it that Paul is, all, is there also concerned about how visitors will react when prophecy is going on in the meeting. And remember, all this head-covering stuff, it's to do with prayer and prophecy. I wonder if that's what's going on. I'm not sure. If you don't like that idea, see me over morning tea. I've got plenty more. <laughs> but don't let the weirdness of that verse distract you from what I reckon is still pretty clear. Men and women, equal, but different. And for the Corinthians, Paul wants that to be reflected in their head coverings. All the more because, and this is his second main point, although we'll move through pretty quickly, because men and women are different, it also means that we are dependent on one another. Verse 11. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. Everything comes from God. Paul is pointing out there that men and women need each other. To be fully who we are in the Lord, we need each other. And I'm not just talking about in a sort of romantic marriage sort of setting. He's, Paul here is speaking of a broader level of how men and women complete one another, complement one another. And so, you know, women's conferences, men's conferences, women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies, they've all got their place, but at a broader level, within a church family, morning church is way more fulfilled and rounded and complete by there being both men and women together here. Not as identical clones, but precisely because we aren't identical. See, in my toolbox I have a hammer and a screwdriver. If they were identical, if they did exactly the same things as each other, I wouldn't need both. In fact, being the handyman that I am, there are times when I've used a hammer to do things that I really should have used a screwdriver for, and it has not ended well. The fact that we are different means we need each other, and that's his point here. In Christ, men and women have different roles, and therefore in the genius of God, we need each other. We cannot corporately be who we're meant to be as Christ's church without one another. Woman is not independent of man nor is man independent of woman. And all of this is coming out with the issue of who should and shouldn't wear head coverings. And to a church confused because of differing backgrounds and how best to express their newfound freedom and intimacy with God because of Jesus Christ, Paul says, guys, to show the new freedom that you enjoy in Christ, don't cover your head the way you used to in the synagogue. But women... So as to show that in Christ men and women are nevertheless different and therefore dependent, so as to reflect that complementary role, he wants the women to cover their heads when they pray or prophesy. So where does that leave us? Here we are, sophisticated 20th century Dubbo. What are the lessons for us? Well, some would say there are none. Go down to the Uniting Church, for example, and the official line is that this teaching is wrong and outdated. The Uniting Church does not hold that the Bible is the word of God. They reckon it's the words of men about God, and so as we get more and more enlightened about things, we can just cut out the wrong bits. 
I don't know if it's still the case, but here in Dubbo, it used to be that at weddings held in their building, there were parts of the Bible that they would just not simply allow you to read out. I'm thinking this would be one of them. Here at DPC, that is not us. Uh, We see the entire Bible as God's inspired word. And passages like this are telling us that if we are at all interested in honouring God, we need to do things in a way that reflects that in Christ, men and women are equal but different. Now, perhaps the most obvious way you will see that reflected in our public meetings here at DPC is that we do not have women preachers at these meetings. It's not because we don't think women are capable of preaching. It's because we want to try and do justice to the teaching of the Bible here. Because simply being capable to do something does not automatically mean that you should do it. Jesus is actually quite capable of being God. He's actually very capable of taking the initiative with things. He has that ability. But he voluntarily submitted himself to his Father. And God Somehow in making us male and female, he is calling on us to voluntarily take on differing roles and as such we are almost invited in to somehow experience something of how God himself operates within himself as we lovingly live out the fact that we are equal but different. So I guess the bottom line big question is, to what extent should we at DPC be doing exactly what the Corinthians did? Should the girls wear some sort of head coverings when they pray in our meetings? Now, I don't think so, but we do need to be very, very careful here. Okay, We should not too quickly dismiss something simply because we don't like the idea or we think it's a bit silly or outdated. We've got to be very careful here. But I do wonder whether this passage is a bit like Romans 16, verse 16, which is the verse that says, greet one another with a holy kiss. I think these sorts of passages, what matters most is the principle behind the external practice. And the principle behind the practice of head coverings, the principle at work throughout this passage, is the distinctiveness of our gender. The principle at work here is accepting that as male and female, we are male and female. And it is important to express that in what we wear at our meetings. Now, in Corinthians, head coverings achieve that. I'm not so sure head coverings would send out that same message nowadays. I'm wondering whether head coverings, certainly in our context, would send out a very different message. In fact, it's quite tricky nowadays because in Western society, there's not really any one look that definitively says you're a man or a woman. But in our gender-confused world, in a world that actually wants to remove any sort of difference between men and women, I think there is a place for us wisely and humbly thinking through how we are to be masculine men and feminine women. We are to be unmistakably male and female so that in both our appearance and in our attitudes, we as a church family testify to the fact that as men and women we are different to one another and we delight in that because it means we're dependent on one another. 
Now, our society will not like that. But in this passage, God says these things matter to him. Let me pray. Father, we want to thank you for making us male and female. And thank you for the wonderful opportunity that we have of loving and serving one another in those roles in the way that you love within your very self as Father, Son and Spirit. Uh, Father, these are difficult teachings, some levels hard to understand, very countercultural. Uh, Father, help us to firstly have humility before your word, graciousness before it. Uh, Father, as a church family, as Morning Church, we want to excel at corporately being the people that you want us to be. And so, Father, we pray that we would be able to do that as men and women together so that you would be honoured. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.